Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Hey, what's up, church? Good morning. I hope that you're planning on, if you're watching this uh, first thing in the morning, that you're planning on coming over to the church for the family cruise happening at 1030 this morning. It's like you got just enough time to probably watch this, have a conversation with your family or your group that you're with, and then maybe you can swing on over to Loveland Coffee or Donut House and come on over to the family cruise. Uh, join the parade that we're doing there. It's going to be so good to see everybody. I can't wait uh, just to see some of your faces for sure. Just, I think everyone's still kind of wondering what the plan is for the church. And I gave a pretty uh, good update in this last midweek update. And there will be more details that we roll out in this next midweek update. We're going to be giving you more information as we have it. Uh, but know that the plan is that we're doing a drive-in style service on May 31st. And it's going to be so much fun. It's going to be awesome. And then starting in June, we're planning on getting back to in-person gatherings. And so more details will come about the gathering sizes and what those specifically will look like. But just know that uh, we are providing, we're going to keep providing the online platform for those of you who are not quite ready to come back to church yet. And we're going to be getting back in the building in some capacity in June is our hope uh, for those of you who are ready and eager to gather again. I want to thank everyone for taking that survey that kind of helped inform and helped us just sort of get the lay of the land of how our church is feeling right now. And to no surprise, really, uh, the younger people are kind of ready to say, okay, hey, like, let's go, let's get back to church. And some of the older people were saying, you know what, I'm good waiting this out. And, and what that does maybe in some of you is it creates uh, this tension a little bit where you go, I'm fearful that some of the younger people are going to get back to gathering and that some of the older people aren't going to get back to gathering. And it might be kind of polarizing for our congregation. And I just want to speak to that for a moment because one of the values that we have had and will continue to have is that we have just a deep, uh, immense value for being intergenerational, meaning that we don't just kind of coexist and tolerate one another um, as younger people and older people, but really we have just this beautiful blend at Good Shepherd, young, older, right in the middle. Notice I say older. Uh, it's always just a pro tip. Don't say old. You just say older because then you can kind of identify with which one you're in there. Um, but I just, it's a value of mine. It's not just something we don't, we don't just put up with the older generation as a younger generation. Uh, we got like a new younger pastor. Uh, we have younger people on our staff at this point. And so we're not just putting up with or enduring the old people in our church. We go, no, like there's something of great value there. And it's not just money because they have more established careers or retirement accounts than some of the young people in our church, but there's wisdom there. There's, there's a spiritual discernment that comes with having gone around this block a couple of times. And so just know, I just want you to hear it from me. Uh, even if we gather and there's, we're separate for a little bit in that we have a more vulnerable uh, service that we do where some older people come, that is not where we're ultimately going to land. We, we see the value in blending all of our ages together. We're not going to have an older service and a contemporary service. It's just not, I'm not knocking that. It's just not going to be who we are. And so um, just wanted to speak to that. I don't know if that's in your heart at all, if that's making you nervous at all, but um, man, young, old, this virus is affecting people differently, but that does not mean that we're going to value people any differently going forward for our church. It's been a value for us and it's just gonna keep on coming because that's just who I am. That's just who our staff is, our team is. That's just who we are as a church. Uh, we don't see it as tolerating. We embrace the just the good things. And there's maybe a little friction in that sometimes, but man, we embrace what's on each side of that coin. So I just wanted to take a minute to address that. I also just wanted to take a minute at the top of this message to say, um, Man, I had no idea 
when I was preaching in January that in just a few short months, we'd be sitting in the season that we're in. And so that word that I felt like God had given me for the year was established. And we talked about how, you know what, we're gonna establish one thing right off the get-go in January. And that was that Jesus is the head of this church. And I think of how vital a message and important reminder that is right now and how we are we are established sons and daughters because of what he's done for us. He is establishing his kingdom here on the planet and he's choosing to work through us. And I just, I wanna remind you of that, that, that um, this season, what it's done for not just our church and not just for churches, but for businesses, uh, people all over, is it's changing how we're doing things. But I just, it's a good time to remind you all that the the methods may change. We, we're never married to the methods. We're never, never so focused on or in love with the methods. We, we should fall in love with and be obsessed about the message. And the message is staying the same, that Jesus has chosen you. He has a plan for you. He loves you. He's going to pour out his grace, his love, his power towards you so that you can walk in the abundant life that he has planned for you so that you can partner with him in the ministry of reconciliation that he's given to you, entrusted to you. And that's still the message. And so, man, it may pivot here. It may look even a little different still for some time to come. And the method may be a little changed, but the message will not change. It will be the same. There is work to be done in God's kingdom. And so here we are uh, doing this together. I just wanted to remind you, like established, we established these things before the pandemic. It's going to keep on going long after it. And so I uh, just wanted to remind you of that this morning. But then with that, let's dive into Ephesians chapter two. Maybe you read through the first 10 verses this week. Maybe you haven't yet. Um, but Ephesians chapter two is what we're going to be in today. Uh, I'm going to read through them real quick so you can grab your Bible. I think it's helpful if you read along. If you have maybe your kids have a Bible with them, you can help them find it in their Bible, read along in a different version that maybe they can understand a little easier. But I'm going to be reading in the ESV. I'd invite you just to read along with me. Paul writes Ephesians chapter two, verse one. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that is not your own doing, it is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast." For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Let's pray. Jesus, I pray that you would just let this truth sink deeply into our hearts today, God. That in this story, Paul is giving us maybe some of the most concise 10 verses of the gospel that he delivers in all of his writing. And I pray that uh, we wouldn't get tired of hearing the gospel, that we wouldn't grow weary in hearing the story that God has written in all of our lives, Jesus. Um, I pray for those watching who maybe this got shared with who don't know Christ, who don't know you, Jesus. And I pray that, uh, man, would you just awaken something in them today? Would you just, um, would you draw them into you, into your story that you have prepared for them? Um, I just think how beautiful that you have written, you've already authored parts of their stories that they just haven't gotten to walk into yet. You've done that for all of us, God. And so would you maybe just draw us into a little curiosity this morning of, man, Lord, what do you have for me? 
What do you have for us? Pray that our hearts would be open, ready to receive your truth, your word today, God, your spirit. We invite you into living rooms, into kitchens, into bedrooms, all over the place, wherever we're watching this this morning, Jesus. We love you. We trust you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So I, I love getting to know people's stories. I've always loved getting to know people's stories. I think our, our tendency in our culture right now is to try and get to know someone either through a, a screen, through social media, and we watch Instagram stories about people, and or we just have very casual small talk with people uh, at the, you know, you hear like water cooler talk at, at work, or we just have it at church, and we just get to know very little about people. And so I just, I've always loved really getting to know somebody's story, not just the snapshot of what's going on in life right now, but man, what's, what's your story been? Where did you come from? What's, what's kind of informed your past and your history that sort of made you who you are now? And, and as a pastor, I've really enjoyed getting to hear people's stories because a lot of people will just be really open with me about what, where they've been spiritually, whether I really ask for it or not. As soon as people find out you're a pastor, they're like, well, listen, you know, here's here. They maybe we'll start apologizing for their lack of a relationship with God or they or, you know, they'll tell you everything that's been going on in their, with their relationship with God. And I think it's it's cool. and It's a privilege. And I truly do love getting to hear just where people have been, what God's done in their life. And, and in church circles, you've heard this word before. We'd call that a testimony, just people sharing what God has done in their life, in their past and what's kind of how he's brought them about to where they are now. And I think my favorite part of the story, favorite part of almost any story that you listen to is the, is the pivot moment, like the moment where it seems like everything changes. Like I was, I was heading down this path, but then I realized, or, or like I was making these decisions, but then like, but Jesus rescued me. And you kind of have this, you always have these kind of pivot moments where things, it's like the trajectory from then on really changed. Like I wasn't the same. I was doing this, but then Christ captured me, but then I realized that no one else was going to show up. But then I realized that I couldn't change myself and I was set off in a new direction. And, and I love that. And as a pastor, like it's the coolest thing to get to hear people's story. But um, the, the, the truth is, the reality is that Paul talks about in the first part of this is every one of our stories has one of these components in it. And that's that we were all spiritually dead. I mean, he minces no words in this first part of this text here, the first few verses. He says, you, you were spiritually dead. You were, you were a son of disobedience by nature, children of wrath. And, and what that speaks to is, is the fact that when we were born, we were born into, even though we were born physically alive, there was a part of us that was dead. Our, our spirit was born dead, not awakened to the things and the beauty and the richness of God. And so we could walk about and we could go about our day and we can live our life and we can we could enjoy a lot of the common grace that God has given to all of mankind, not just those that he loves, but he's given to everybody that, um, you know, we could enjoy relationships. We could find happiness in different things that are happening around us. We could even maybe find some peace and in, in kind of like our comforts and the things that God has given to us. Um, you could find good relationships and, and all of that until you are made spiritually alive is, is a hollow version or a less full version of what God really wants to offer you. So while you're spiritually dead, you're still physically alive. So your life looks like maybe just like anybody else's life. You can walk around and you can experience different things, interact with people. But until you're made spiritually alive, you can't experience God's peace that transcends your circumstances. You can't experience God's joy that, that is not a happiness that's easily taken away from you. It's not an emotion that's just robbed from you, but a, a deep-seated joy in your soul that comes from knowing, man, I have a hope that I'm longing and looking forward to. I have a, like this world is not all that there is for me. And so there's this, there's this 
reality that all of us sit in this state of spiritual deadness. And it's because of sin. And I think there's really two kind of traps or pitfalls that we can fall into when we talk about sin. Um, you can make the mistake and and culture kind of makes the mistake that we want to not call it sin anymore. We want to kind of change the name. We maybe want to make that word a little more palatable. So we might say, man, you know what? You're just really struggling with this or you just, I've made some mistakes and we want to kind of avoid. And I think some church, some church cultures can in our Western world can perpetuate this a bit where we want to make, we want to make God and the Bible more of like a, a self-help or some kind of remedies to our problems rather than addressing the actual problem, which is sin. And, and you might not want to call it sin. And that sin truthfully might be layered several different ways. And it might not really look like sin at the, at the start. It might just be anger. And you kind of got to peel back the layers a little bit and figure out why that anger is there. And that anger actually comes from a wound, from a sin that your dad did towards you. Or, I mean, there's all sorts of different, there's a thousand ways that you can nuance sin, but, but ultimately we can't rob ourselves of calling it what it truly is. Like our problem, what's led to our spiritual deadness is sin. And it's a part of every single person's story. My story, your story. And so I love just the, the leveling that happens here in the first few verses where it says, everyone, everyone, everyone in the history of mankind is in this same boat. We were separated from God because of our disobedience, because of our sin towards him. But the other mistake we can make the other pitfall we can fall into with sin is we can really make too much of it. Let me explain, because I think that maybe even kind of just ruffled your feathers, even me just saying it a little bit. But we can, we can make too much of sin. We can, we can emphasize, and maybe you grew up in that church, or maybe you grew up in that household where, man, sin was all you talked about. And the sin of humankind and the sins of, of people, and, and man, it was all about obedience or disobedience, following the rules or breaking the rules. And it was all just about this behavior, obedience, sin. And that was all you focused on. And you never got to embrace the grace of God that lets you just rest in the fact that yes, I know I'm a sinner. Like I've, I've covered that, I've come to that realization. Now I get to receive the grace that God is pouring out to me. Um, you know, like I think sometimes when we get into that pitfall, what we see is that, uh, that total depravity or sin is really not the beginning of our story. Here's what I mean. I, I just like, if you've been in a church, so you maybe heard total depravity, maybe you've read up on some Calvin, you have tulip kind of memorized, you start with total depravity and you just go, yeah, that's man's problem, man. We, it's all, beginning of all of our story is sin, total depravity. We were depraved. And, and just for the record, like total depravity doesn't mean every part of you is completely depraved. What total depravity means is you are helpless in your own state. It's, it's just a different way of saying what Paul says here. You're dead. You're spiritually dead. You know who can't help themselves? A dead person. They need external help to bring them back to life. And so total depravity just means you are in a helpless state, unable to get out of it on your own power. But again, Genesis chapter three is not Genesis chapter one. Genesis chapter three is where sin enters the world. It's not the beginning of the story. The beginning of the story actually starts in this beautiful, perfect garden where, where Adam and Eve have perfect relationship with God. They walk with him. They talk with him. Everything's in order. I, I think of like how to describe heaven. And it feels like you're almost running out of ways sometimes where you just say, no, there is no sickness. There is no pain. Everything's good in heaven. But what I've been thinking about recently is that, you know, what's going to be awesome about heaven? Like nothing will be going wrong. I, I don't know about you, but it just seems like maybe it's heightened in this season. But right now, it just feels like I'm either constantly addressing or trying to put out problems that are going on in my life. And so it's like, oh my gosh, my kids, like 
Are, are they doing well? Are they doing enough for school? Are my kids are my kids doing enough for online school? Are they on their like screens all the time? Are they just is it screens? Are they addicted to screens at this point? Like maybe like I have some work to do there. Am I being the dad I need to be? Am I being the husband I need to be? How how do you make quality time for a wife when you have no ability to get away from your kids for some time? Like am I being the 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 boss that I need to be at work? Am I am I doing the what I need to do at work? I can't be as present at work as I once was because I have kids at home. And it's just like, oh my gosh, am I am I preaching what the church needs to be preached? Like, are we covering what we need to cover right now? We're in a pandemic. Shouldn't we be maybe talking about a like a specific topic? Why are we just reading through Ephesians? And it's like, oh my gosh, like it just feels like things are going wrong or maybe not things aren't going wrong, but I kind of feel like I'm trying to hold water in my hand as someone's pouring it out. And as you realize that like, okay, wait, I have a gap here between this finger and it's it's like running out. But then you realize you just created a gap in between another finger and it's like, what's going on here? And, And I just like, can you embrace the thought that in heaven, in the garden, nothing is going wrong? Like, can you just I don't, I don't, my head almost doesn't know what to do with that thought that just like the peace that comes over me just going like, man, no, like nothing will be going wrong. Nothing will be falling apart. Nothing will be broken. There won't be anything that I have to undo or fix. I'll just get to be with Jesus forever. That's the beginning of our story. That's what's been fractured. So in Genesis chapter three, Adam and Eve do sin. We all would have made the same mistake. They choose rebellion from God. And that's what we call the fall where now sin is a part of all of our stories after that. And so it's a part of all of our stories. And then in verse four, the story shifts. But God, it's the the, the biggest but you've ever seen right there. Like you're so thankful to see it. You're just like, okay, here we go. But God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace you have been saved. And he raised you up with him so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Jesus Christ. So there's, there's a couple pitfalls we can fall in with grace. So God has, God has freely given us his grace. And I think one of the most difficult things to watch as a pastor is to watch people, to watch students when I was in student ministry, work for and strive that which already like strive for that which already belongs to them. You just work for and they're tirelessly tirelessly trying to earn something that's already freely been given to them. I, I've said this before, I've heard this saying before, and it's so true, it's so important that you, that you grasp this. God is not more in love with the future version of you. He, he loves you now. He, he knew you weren't gonna be perfect going forward. If he, knew, if he had the grace to save you, he has the grace to continue to save you. I think that's why Paul calls it an immeasurable grace because it's just this inexhaustible well of grace that, that you, frankly, all of us, we need it because we're not gonna be perfect. And yet he chooses to save us. And so we can make the mistake, the pitfall with grace is we can go, man, but that doesn't belong to me. And we can say, oh, but I, gotta, I have to earn, and I have to perform and I have to try and achieve and I have to try and earn it. And Jesus, I think sometimes to some of you is just saying, hey, just rest in the fact that I love you. I know, I know the things that you keep doing wrong. I know the mistakes you keep making, but you will, you will never be able to cling hard enough to righteousness to be able to transform yourself into greater righteousness. The only way that you're gonna find transformation in Jesus is by resting in, embracing him and what he's already called you. It's the abiding love of God that we talked about in the I am statements. It's the thing that we talked about in John chapter one or in Ephesians chapter one, 
that you just have to embrace the fact that God has called you a beloved son, a chosen, beloved, adopted daughter. That's who he's already called you to be. The other pitfall we can fall into with grace, and maybe the other side, is we can convince ourselves that we're too far beyond it. I can't be reached. So you kind of have this side and, and where you say, oh, I got to earn it and I got to perform and I got to do these things. And we have these kind of really rigid, uh, obedience-driven people. But then the other pitfall can be, I'm just too far beyond God's grace. Or I know God saved me, like I, I, but then I made all these mistakes. And so how could he possibly still love me? And, and the fact that God's grace is immeasurable towards us means that you can't distance yourself far enough from it. Like it's immeasurable. It keeps going for forever. And so no matter how far you have removed yourself from Christ, no matter how far your prodigal has removed themselves from Christ, his grace is immeasurable. It can reach them. It can reach you. It can, it can, God's grace can go so far beyond your sin and mistakes that he's got plenty of grace, not just to save you, but he's actually got enough grace that he can take whatever you used to do. Maybe you, maybe you gave your twenties over to just all of your twenties were just given to addiction and just straying from God, rebelling against him. He can, his grace is so immeasurably powerful that he can save you from that. And he can also redeem and take all those mistakes, all those things that you did wrong. And he can use it as a weapon against the enemy, against the kingdom of darkness. He takes what the enemy means for evil and he turns it for our good. He turns it for his good. He uses it to advance his kingdom. So don't be like, who do we think we are at times, really? That we can say, I have out the grace of God. You can't. You cannot go that far. His grace is immeasurable. His reach is infinite. He wants to call you back to him. He wants to bring you back in. God's grace has been so immeasurably poured out to us. It's, so been, it's been so freely given to us that Paul takes us to say, man, so you know what? Really, no one can even boast about it. No one can boast about who they are uh, because it's all been just what Jesus has done for us. And so I love that Man, our stories, it all, it all starts in a similar place. We all have this part of our story that involves us being sinful, us being spiritually dead. But God, being rich in mercy, has, has lavished his grace upon us. He saved us. And so now nobody gets to boast. That's what Paul next goes into. He says, so you don't even get to brag about any of this because it's a gift from God. And so um, I, I just I long to continue to see the church be this place where, man, it doesn't matter how you vote doesn't matter how you, how much money you earn, what income tax bracket you belong into. It doesn't matter what nation, what nationality, what ethnicity you are. All of those things that culture turns into kind of our primary indicators of our identity now get to take a backseat to our true identity, which is that which is what Christ has done for me. I am a son. I am a daughter of his. But that's Kent's message for next week. Kent is preaching on Ephesians, the back half of chapter two. He's going to cover that next week. So tune back in next week. I don't want to step on too much of his toes because it's this oneness in Christ, this identity that we receive from Christ that becomes our primary identity so that we can have in our church, we can have uh, doctors sitting next to sitting next to homeless people. And it doesn't matter. Like we're all just there for one reason. That's to worship Christ alone. So maybe even went a little farther into what Kent was going to say next week. But um, nobody, nobody gets to brag. Nobody's too far gone. There, there is no amount of striving that you can do to possibly earn this gift. God has given it to you. He's extended it towards you. And so all of this sort of culminates then, and it points to this last sentence, which is where I want to spend just a few more minutes and then we'll be done, is that uh, verse 10, he says, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. 
We are his workmanship. Other translations would say the word masterpiece. And, and I think it's helpful to look at the, the Greek word for here. It's poema, which is the same place where we get our word poetry from. So maybe like, maybe you're not super uh, creative or you're just like, oh, poetry? Like, I don't know, it just doesn't really do it to me. But just think about how like carefully assembled poetry is. Like, I, I don't know if I've ever talked about this before, but some people think that I just um, get up when I preach and I just kind of like ramble off my thoughts for a few minutes. And, and that's just not at all what happens. I write out a whole manuscript and I spend time kind of trying to memorize that. But I, I will never let anyone read my manuscript because what it is, is it's this, uh, I'm getting a thought or I'm, I'm having something that I think I want to say, or I feel like God's sharing something with me. And I just try and write it down. As, I'm try, typing it out as fast as possible. And if you look through one of my documents, one of my Word docs or Google docs of like my manuscript, it is full of red lines, blue lines, like nothing is spelled right. There's no punctuation. Wrong things are capitalized. Apostrophes are in wrong spots. Like it's t- like, it is just thrown together. Like it's just all blasted on paper. And then I go back and refine it and I cut it down and I fix it. But that's so opposite of the idea of poetry. Poetry is so carefully assembled. You think about like not one syllable is wasted in poetry. All the words that are in a poem are, are there on purpose. And so you think about that. You just receive that for your life that like God has carefully assembled. You are you were fearfully and wonderfully made knit together in your mother's womb. Like there's this like careful assembly that happens. God has given you a gift. He's uniquely gifted and equipped you to do something. He's He's prepared a work for you ahead of time. Like God has put so much care in how he's put you together that like it's just this amazing thing to think about that like the creator of the universe cares enough about me to, to rightly assemble me. And so there's two things that I think we can really draw out of this last sentence. God has specifically gifted you and equipped you to do ministry. And I think in our church culture right now, we can kind of think about this backwards a little bit um, that can lead to some boredom in our Christian faith because we can get to thinking that church is just something I go to and I attend. It's not something I participate with. And so let me kind of explain really what I mean because I want to be specific. And really this is going to set up a lot of what we're going to talk about in Ephesians chapter four. But like you have been specifically gifted, uniquely equipped by God to do ministry. Um, we have sort of created this uh, arena culture, if you will, in, in church circles where we think that what it means to be a Christian is that, well, I behave in a certain way and, and I, I roll up to church and I listen to a guy talk for a little bit and I sing and I participate in worship and then I go home. And But they do the ministry. Like I just, I'm, I'm a recipient of that ministry. Like church church staff, church people, the preachers, those are kind of the varsity level, pe- level people. I'm just sort of like on the bench watching them do their thing. I'm on the team. I might cheer along a little bit. I might support them financially, but really, I, you know, they're doing the thing. I'm just sort of participating and I'm really thankful that they do that. And I just, like, that's going to lead to a boredom in your faith because that's not what you were designed for. Like there is no sixth man in the kingdom of God. If you have been if you have been reconciled to Christ, you are on the court, you are on the team, you're playing, you're valuable. Paul talks about it like this body, like there's no part that's unnecessary. Everyone is needed. Everyone needs to be moving and working and doing the things that they were called to do. And so, man, like I just, we'll talk about this plenty more. I don't wanna get too much into it now, but like if you are just attending church, if you're just showing up, if you're just listening to podcasts right now and you don't see yourself Um, maybe you're like, well, I'm just a nurse. Um, I would say, no, you're not. You're not just a nurse. You are a minister of Jesus. That's also nursing. 
you are, you are advancing his kingdom through you while you're nursing. You're saying, oh, I'm, I'm just a mechanic. No, no, you're not just a mechanic. You are, you are given the ministry of reconciliation. You've been given gifts. You've been put in that place so that you can advance God's kingdom while you're fixing cars. Like you just, we just can't limit ourselves to think that like, well, the staff of the church does the work. The pastors do the work. I just benefit from that. That is not the design of church. That's not who you were called to be. Again, we'll get more into that in Ephesians chapter four. But the last thing that I just want you to consider is what Paul says here is that Jesus in his foreknowledge and his being able to look through time, he has good works that he prepared for you beforehand. And he's hoping that you will walk in them. And so I just want you to consider for just a moment that it's no mistake that it's you that are, it's you in your friend circle alive right now during the coronavirus, during this pandemic. Like, like have you stopped and thought about that for a second? Like God could have chose anybody. He could have put anybody throughout all of history to put in this section of time, in your workplace, in your friend group, in your family, in your home, but he chose you. He put you there. And because of that, because of what we see in this verse, that means he's got work for us to do. He's, he's put people in your life on purpose. There are no accidental bump-ins with anybody. Like, I just, I hope you can embrace this, that like God could have placed anybody to be alive during the pandemic in your home, but he chose you, mom. He chose you, dad. He, 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 he's given you your kids on purpose because he has given you these good works. He's prepared them beforehand. And now he wants you to walk in them. It's just what we talked about last week. That what a privilege to get to carry forward the kingdom of God. And that's what he's called you. He's placed you to do it wherever you're at. Right now, in the season of coronavirus, you have been chosen. You've been picked to be carrying the light of the world in you right now when the world is so dark, so chaotic, so filled with, so filled with just like, hate spewing everywhere, concern everywhere, chaos everywhere. And you get to be someone who's carrying the peace of God, the light of God with you wherever you go. I hope you would just embrace that, that God could have chosen anyone, but he chose you. Let's pray. Jesus, I thank you for your truth, God. That man, we all have a story. We all have a story. We've all been somewhere. We've all We've all fallen short of your standard. We've all walked in sin. We've all chosen rebellion, but you saw us in all of it, chose us, redeemed us, bought us. It wasn't cheap. It wasn't easy. It took your son's life. It took his blood, but it was worth it to you, God. You loved us that much. Pray that we would consider just the, the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of your love for us, God. And that we wouldn't let that love become idle and, and being content with letting other people do the things that you've equipped and gifted us to do, Jesus. Pray that you'd help us see this, especially in the coming weeks, God, that uh, you have given us all this ministry. You've given us all this ability to go out and to share your good news, to bring your kingdom, to usher it in in the here and now on earth. God, again, we just, just like last week, we pray that you would just open the eyes of our heart to see this truth. Open us up, God. Would our church just be a, a ripe soil for your truth to sink deeply in? And then would you just grow whatever it is that you want to grow in us? We love you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.